Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Sports Talk here on the Big 870. Mike, to tell you along with Charlie Long. Bobby J gets a day off uh, today, and uh, we'll be joined by Steve Geller at 545 for Triple Option. Uh, Charlie Long kind of broke out that story that uh, kind of burst, I guess, maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes ago that the Saints have brought in Dave Ziegler, former uh, general manager of the Las Vegas Raiders. He got fired along with Josh McDaniel midseason by Mark Davis, and uh, they're bringing him on as an advisor. Consultant situation remains to be seen if it'll be a full-time spot for Ziegler. Ziegler before had spent um, eight to nine years with the Patriots as their director of player personnel. Now, here's the thing, um, and I'm going to cut him a little slack on here because the Patriots drafts have been god-awful in that time frame, but I do know who's in charge. You can be director of player personnel, but Bill Belichick has the final say, and he's got the final pick in his head. Um, I've had other guys that have worked in that Patriots organization tell me, okay, we have certain grades on certain people, and he disregards the grades, and he's going to pick who he wants to pick. So Ziegler has been brought in, 46 years old, got a lot of experience in the NFL for a 46-year-old, and at top positions as a director of player personnel and also as a GM. But uh, Saints have brought him in, and I think that's a sort of overlook or look-see, I should say, maybe the best term, uh, at maybe what's going right, what's going wrong here. And uh, you always like to get an outside opinion, but Ziegler's drafts have certainly not, uh, even when the Raiders have certainly not lit the, the world of fire. Last year he picked Tyree Wilson, who I thought was a great athlete. Um, he never kind of tilted the field for me as a player uh, at Texas Tech. Uh, but he was a great athlete, and he might come around. He, he's flashed it at times, but never was a, really a big-time player, so to speak, at Texas Tech as a defensive end outside linebacker. Michael Mayer, a good player in the second round, tight end from Notre Dame. And deep, deep tight end class um, that we've talked about multiple yeah. times. Mike, they uh, made sure they got one. And uh, Byron Young, defensive lineman, Trey Tucker, uh, also a wide receiver. Uh, in the fourth round, um, Aiden O'Connell, who, who sort of flashed it last year at times. And I remember Drew Brees telling me, Mike, he can play in this league. He said, I'm not telling you he's going to be a starter, but he can play in this league. So uh, that 2023 draft still up in the air. But, um, again, you look at that first draft with Dylan Parham, Zamir White, Neil Farrell, who's already been traded. They dealt him off to Kansas City. Uh, Matt Butler, uh, uh, Thayer Munford. So, uh, again, experienced guy. Did have some, did have the title with the Patriots, but I'm just telling you, you're gonna have to give him a little bit of slack on what happened with New England because I do know who the boss is. 
Yeah, three Super Bowls from 2013 to 2019 with the Patriots, and then you know he joins the Raiders as their GM for the last two years. He got fired on Halloween just this past year. To your point about 2022, though, Mike, they didn't have a first or a second round pick. No, they so didn't. Dylan Parham was their first pick as the guard from Memphis in the third round. Samir White was an interesting name as well, the running back from Georgia, because he was really highly recruited, highly regarded. Uh, hasn't really hasn't worked opened out. the K in football-wise. No, no, hasn't really worked out as well. So you're looking at some of these picks over the last two years, and it's definitely not super inspiring. As you said, out I of like all Michael. of them, Neil Farrell's played the most football, yeah. but with the Chiefs, yeah. not, not with the Raiders. So, right. uh, again, uh, you know, they had a loss in the personnel department uh, with uh, one of them joining Sean's staff as in the player personnel department in Denver. So, We'll see how this goes, but a lot of certainly a lot of experience knows the the game pretty well. How much power he'll have because we do know that Jeff Ireland is uh, uh, got a lot of say so on these drafts. Uh, he's he's the eyes and ears, and uh, because if you're a GM or a head coach, you don't have time during the season to be watching college players. You might glimpse at them uh, at a TV game, or you might attend the game for a little while. But man, you're more concentrated. On your own issues, uh, you're not. Uh, college game is 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 way away. You got scouts and other people to watch that. So uh, we'll see what happens with Dave Ziegler when we come back talking about football. We'll keep up with it. And one of the deepest areas of this draft class, offensive tackles, and it's an area the Saints have to take a long look at. It doesn't matter if it's in round one or in round two. You got to get a big man that can play tackle, and they got a bunch of them. Not a lot of left tackles, but got a bunch of right tackles in this draft class. And we'll go over that, Charlie, and I will right after this break here on the Big Eight Seventy WWL. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're back here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. Mike to tell you along with Charlie Long. And uh, Charlie, this is our daily feature as we... uh, Run up to the combine, which starts later this week and yes, sir. and finishes up next week. But uh, this is other than wide receiver, and I think they, it's real close. This is the thickest area of the draft, especially early. I have seven offensive tackles in my top twenty. Seven. That's better than the receiver class. It's got to be because you had oh, yeah. six first round oh, graded yeah. receivers. So, but I mean, I'm with you, Mike. This is a loaded tackle class, and we're going to start with the very top one, the guy that I think is probably the most well-rounded. Like, I think, you know, once we get to number two, he may be a little bit of a better pass protector, but I think just the top solid tackle in this draft class, Joe Alt out of Notre Dame. Tall, lanky guy, good leverage, uh, angle-type blocker. I'd like to see him become a little bit more physical player. Uh, Now, you know, it's hard to believe as a Notre Dame guy, uh, that he's not a real physical guy at the point of attack as a run blocker. He gets the job done, but I'd like to see him become a more of a power player and throw those arms out with a lot more power than he does. He's more of an angle-type guy, a good leverage player, rarely gets beat off the edge. 
He knows how to position that big, tall body between himself and that guy coming off the edge. Uh, again, everybody's got a flaw somewhere along the line. As a player with Joe, I would like to see him become more of a power player, but I think he's a top five or six pick in this draft. He's my fifth-ranked overall guy. I think if you're looking at the draft, we've talked about this a couple times, the top three guys are going to be quarterback, and then you're going to see Marvin Harrison Jr. off the board. That'll be four. four. And now at five, that's where things kind of get interesting with the Chargers and what they're going to pick, because Brock Bowers, the top tight end, could be in that conversation. Malik Neighbors, the top receiver outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. could be in that conversation. I think Joe Alt is also one of those guys that could be, if you're taking best player available, he's the top guy on the board for you at number five. Moving on to number two, the second-ranked tackle, Penn State's Alou Fashanu, uh, who is widely regarded as the best pass-blocking uh, tackle in this class. I yeah, would, I would he, he's not uh, a lengthy guy. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit – and I'm, I'm interested in how his measurements come in. But all I know is he gets the job done. He is a really good pass protector. And what I watch is his body balance and his feet and his ability to adjust to a move and a counter move. He does that really, really well. Super smart guy. Picks things up right away. Similar to Alt, I would like to see him become a more physical player as a run blocker. But as a pass protector... He does a fantastic job, and I just watch his lower body, how well he moves his feet and the adjustments. He's rarely thrown off balance uh, as a player, and I think he's a top-ten guy. I I really think uh, Fashano will test out well, and when you're going to bring him in for interviews, he is really going to be something special. He's regarded as one of the smartest players on that Penn State team, and uh, I've talked to coaches that say, you just tell him once and show him once. He gets it. It's none of these you got to do it five, six times rep-wise. He understands it really well. So um, big fan of Aloha. I'd like to see him become a more physical run blocker. But, man, as a pass protector, he is really, really good. He's polished. I mean, that's that's all you can really say. And then you have a third top ten. You mentioned seven guys in the top 20, three of them in the top ten. Oregon State's Talisa Fuaga, who is at the Senior Bowl. And you mentioned as well, Mike, all the right tackles. This is one of those top right tackles. Yeah, uh, Fuagu is the best run blocker of this group, a power player. Comes off the snap hard, man, and you can just see it with his arms and his hands, how he extends out with a lot of power, and he gets a lot of movement as a run blocker. He's gotten so much better as a pass protector. When you look at his size, you say, how well can a big guy like that move? Man, he can move really well. And again, his adjustment skills, his body balance, you rarely see him on the ground as a pass protector. And that's what I like about him. I think there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period uh, with him in pass protection where he, he's going to have to get better there. But, man, he has gotten so much better in that department. But as a run blocker, he, he is the best of the bunch in this class. Moving on to your 14th overall prospect, Mike, as we continue to go through these you know seven top 20 guys, Alabama's J.C. Latham who, you know, 14th overall guy, 14th overall pick for the Saints. It could be kind of a fit there. And what's your thoughts on J.C.? He blocks out the sun. I mean, he's not a real tall guy, a little bit over 6'4", I think is what he's going to measure in at. But man, he's a wide load, 350 pounds, outstanding run blocker. And when you watch him in pass protection, he rarely gets beat. Rarely gets beat. 
He has played right tackle. And so if he was a left tackle guy, mm, I might have kicked him up a little bit. But I got him 14th overall. I think he's a top 15 pick in this draft. He is in a very aggressive get after you and then put you away run blocker. And he is a good pass protector. Now, again, sometimes the technical part of the game with him, he's not pitcher perfect, but it don't matter. Nobody beats him. And he's done a pretty good job. If you see how Jalen uh, uh, Milrow was worked in this offense, they rolled him out. They rolled him out right to Latham's side. There you go. Because they knew he wasn't going to get all – they weren't going to get much pressure there. So I think Latham – becomes a top 15 pick if you're looking for a right tackle and a guy that I think will play quickly is J.C. Latham he's also really young at 21 years old Mike and then moving on to a guy that we've heard from multiple scouts say may have the highest ceiling of anyone in the draft and I think that two of these three names are kind of share that uh, same kind of moniker I guess you would say first off Oklahoma's Tyler Guyton another guy that was at the senior bowl yeah a long-armed guy thick um, again a really good run blocker a very good pass protector. Um, his footwork needs a little bit of work there. But, uh, man, listen, we ain't sending somebody to the moon here. We can work with him on that particular part. But he has mostly played right tackle at, at OU. Uh, they put him at left tackle for a little while and then swung him back to the right side. Does an excellent job in both areas. Run blocker, pass protector. I make an argument in the week of the Senior Bowl, he may have been the best player. Uh, on the offensive side, the football, uh, Tyler Guyton. He made him a lot of money uh, going to Mobile. And, uh, man, he's a guy, take no prisoner, and I don't care what you throw at me, uh, I'm going to give it to you. I may get beat, but I'm going to give it every bit back to you. And, I mean, you know how much the Saints value the Senior Bowl, Mike. Yep. We all know that. And that's your 16th overall prospect. Moving on to number six, who's your 18th overall prospect, Washington's Troy Fatanu, who's played multiple spots on the offensive line. Yeah, he's played mostly tackle. Uh, and mostly he's played both left and right. A lot of people think he's better off inside. My thing is play your way out of playing a tackle. Uh, my thing is I'll put you at tackle right off the bat unless I have a hole at guard. Uh, and, and see how well you can handle it. We all know he can protect the quarterback really well. Michael Penix ain't running away from people. I mean, he's a pocket-style quarterback. And so they knew to keep it all in, in tight. And I thought Troy was really well. Excellent technician. He's gotten better as a run blocker. I thought he was a little high. Oh, coming off the snap, sometime he'd get a little high, and they'd throw him off balance. But he's gotten much better over the last two years in staying lower and finishing off a block as a run blocker. But Troy is an outstanding pass protector. And If you're looking for a guy, if you have a hole at guard, Troy might be your guy as a top 20 pick. But I would play him at tackle first to see if he can do it. If not, then I kick him inside the guard. And then one of the most intriguing names, <laughs> Mike, you and I have talked about this off air. It's a guy that has had very limited playing time. Like, you'll see some guys right in the top. Eight couple. games. There you go. I mean, that's just how it is. George's Amarius Mims, who I know you're really high on and could be a guy that he's your 19th ranked overall prospect. We've talked about if the Saints trade down and accumulate more picks, that could be an option. And if they do trade down to around that 20 range, Amarius Mims might be a guy to take an eye on. I don't want to play him right away. Because I think that's going to be an adjustment. Not a lot of experience, man. Mike. You talk about eight games yep. at the college level. Eight. 
But those eight games, when you watch the tape on him, ain't nobody beat him. I mean, he's tall. He's got long arms. He's aggressive. He's a stomper, or what I call as a run blocker. Almost like he wants to run you over and then stomp you on the way back. He's gotten better as a pass protector. At one time, he was more of a waist bender than a knee bender, but he's gotten better with that. I just wish he'd had more experience because that's going to come into play uh, with him. If I don't have to play him early, then I have no problem with that. But he's going to go through a growth period as a pass protector. I have no doubt he can run block. Pass protection is going to be the question marks. But when you watch those eight games, Charlie, he just sort of wipes the field, whoever he's up against. But again, you play, you've got a guy that has not had a lot of experience at the collegiate level. But you do know what Georgia does well. They run the football, short passing game. And they develop linemen. And I mean, this <laughs> they is a got a 6, 7, 340 physical freak. Uh, so he's going to be an interesting name to watch. I think he's a clear first round pick despite you yeah, know, the limited college playing time. So it's a matter of where he goes in that middle kind of the pack first round. And then, Mike, that's all your first round rated prospects at offensive tackle. Well, l- let me just say this because I only have 22 first round picks. Yes. Graded players. But at, from 28 to 33. Those six guys, all with the same grade. And so Jordan Morgan from Arizona. Your 33rd ranked guy. It was my 33rd ranked guy, but he actually could be 28 because of the fact they all okay. uh, kind of worked out the exact same grade and a really good pass protector. Uh, man, he's quick with his hands. I, I like the way he adjusts and readjusts to a move and a counter move, and he gets his hands on you. And once he gets his hands on you, it's over. You're not beating him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's gotten much better as a run blocker. I always thought he uh, sort of played high in the saddle, like a big, tall cowboy. Uh, but he's gotten better at lowering his base and playing with that that power that I know he's got. Excellent pass protector. And I think he'll get even better as a run blocker, especially if he has an experienced offensive line coach that's going to say, you know what? Man, get that body lower and bend your knees. Don't bend at the waist. But Arizona, if you saw them this year, and they were very they were really good. good. Okay, a lot of that was quick and fast. So he's just doing what they're telling him to do. The NFL is going to be a little bit different game for him, but I like him as a player. I think he's a late first, early second round pick. And you're talking about experience. Another guy that's going to be an early second round pick on this board, Houston's Patrick Paul, a three-year starter at left tackle. Man, he got a wingspan like a big condor. There you go. Uh, Three-year starter at left tackle. Uh, I'd like to see a little bit more muscle with him, physicality. But he moves his feet well. Uh, got a huge wingspan. He can catch it. He's coming off the edge. When, when you have that type, when they're gonna, you're going to see the measurements. I would think it's 84 or, or better with him wingspan-wise. He can catch you a lot of different ways. A lot of times he plays a little bit off balance with his feet. Man, he... He's a hell of a player, a hell of a prospect. And again, a three-year guy at left tackle. Most of these guys we've talking about, if it's Fuagu, if it's Lathan, if it's Guyton, Mims, they've all played on the right side. I think Patrick is, because he's played at left tackle, he may go a lot higher than 38. 
Just because of positioning. I could be wrong, but didn't Fuaga also play on the left before he swapped over a, to the A right? little bit. Yeah. But he seemed more comfortable. On the right side. Uh, yeah. On the right side. I'm not saying a team wouldn't pick him and put him at left tackle and see what he can do there. The sleeper guy in his draft class, though, and you haven't heard a lot about him, is Julian Pearl from Illinois. He's 6'5", 312. He measured out. With an 85 and three quarter inch wingspan. He's been a two year starter at left tackle at Illinois, came out early. And uh, again, the fundamental parts for him, he still is a work in progress, but man, is he talented and athletic and can tie you up. And with those long arms, okay, you think you can give him an inside move and beat him, and he just sort of wheels out there and, and catches you. Julian Pearl in the middle rounds is a guy to watch, and I think we all want to see, too. Nathan Thomas, who's from Chalmette, he went to your alma mater, Mm -hmm. uh, Raging Cajun, was a two-year starter at left tackle. He injured his knee. He didn't play in the bowl game. He had the surgery. Uh, He got invited to the East-West Shrine game and that sort of thing, so he's still recovering from that, but I think he's, he's pretty good now. Man, I was impressed with Nathan Thomas this year at that left tackle position. Cajuns have produced some good offensive linemen over the recent years. And that brings scouts right back because they've seen it before. We'll be back with more sports talk. And Chris Blair, the voice of LSU Sports, right after this break here on the Big 870. We're back here on Sports Talk on the Big 870. Mike Detail along with Charlie Long and on our Oakland Hard Jewelers talking text line, the voice of LSU Sports and and he's had a pretty good run over the last 12, 16 months. Chris Blair. Chris, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. No problem, Mike. Charlie, good to talk with you. Chris, uh, let's get the bad news out first. Man, just I had somebody text me this because I, I said this last week. How people and how teams handle success. Man, you, you don't appreciate consistency uh, in life. But that, that those are the type teams and people you want to be around. Consistently good. And we saw... Man, LSU, great game against South Carolina late to come back to win it. Then you beat Kentucky in an unbelievable game late. And then what happens against Mississippi State? You lose by 20. And I think sometimes it's really hard on a team piece together like this. Consistency, how you handle success, and refocus back the next game. No question about it. I mean, I think that's been kind of the story of this team. I mean, I think you look back to last year, you know, the question was, would this team be better? Uh, you basically overhaul the roster. And, and I think overall, from a talent standpoint, th- th- this is a better team uh, than a year ago. But they lack that consistency. And, you know, I've likened it a couple of times to, to one step forward, two steps back. As it <laughs> yeah. turned out last week, it was two te- two steps forward and one step back. Um, But, yeah, I think, you know, one thing I've learned about this team, Mike, in the last, certainly since conference play, but I certainly would say over the last seven, eight games, is there's really one formula for this team to win. And and they've got to be gritty. They've got to out-hustle you on 50-50 balls. They have to box out. They have to hold their own, if not win the glass. And, you know, offensively, they've done enough. I mean, there's games they lost where they scored 85, 86 points, and normally that's enough to win you a game. And I was a little concerned about Mississippi State because, again, I thought LSU out physical to physical team in South Carolina in Columbia. That's how they won that game. And there's no question they out physical the Wildcats. Coach Cal said it. I mean, he didn't say much after the game, but what he did say was, you know, they out hustled us. 
But you were going up against the Mississippi State team that that is their M.O. They do that every night out against every team. And they haven't won every game, but they had won five in a row. And and you kind of wondered, would LSU have enough, again, to stay locked in and be physical enough? Um, Because Kentucky's got length. I mean, they got, you know, 6'10", 7'1", 7'2". I mean, they got plenty of size from a length standpoint. But Mississippi State, those guys look like, you know, guys you don't want to mess with. Um, They're big. They're tall. They're physical. And, you know, I was concerned about it. And, and, and it looked a little bit, again, they lost Tyrell Ward, who was injured, didn't play in the second half. That's a big loss offensively for LSU. But it looked like they were worn down a little bit. And, you know, I don't know how much of that was focus, how much of it is they don't go very deep. This team is already depleted enough uh, with Jalen Cook not being able to go for several games and then without Damian Collins to rotate in for the bigs. Uh, they've been without uh, Carlos Stewart to give the guards a little rest. So I, I think they kind of ran out of gas a little bit against a very physical Mississippi State team. Not a good news. Uh, LSU baseball, 7-1, and 3-1 and one over the weekend. The one take I get early is this team, from a talent standpoint, pitching is really better than a year ago. I mean, you don't have the guy. Because Skeens, he's, he might be a once-in-a-lifetime player. Uh, but good gracious. Um, and, and you see it in spurts. But I think as the season goes along, Chris, that is going to be the wheelhouse. The fact that they have depth in the pitching ranks and guys that I think are going to be really good. No, I would agree with you. I mean, I think that's kind of the, the story we got you know, from fall baseball and even in the preseason that, yeah, you don't have a Paul Skeens out there, uh, which, of course, as you said, is generational. I mean, I think LSU's maybe had two of those guys uh, with Ben McDonald and Paul Skeens kind of being that dominant in their careers. But I think from a depth standpoint, you know, and we showed it yesterday. I mean, we've got a small sample size, and I know there's some guys that come in and they've looked good at moments, and then maybe they haven't been able to consistently find the strike zone in a given outing. Um, but there's a lot of guys. That competition within that that group of pitchers is going to make the best rise to the top. And and I think you've got also compared to last year, Mike. I think you got you know more depth as far as your options for weekend starters. And and I think that's kind of being settled out. You know through these first couple of weeks, it'll certainly ramp up uh, with competition this week over uh, in Houston as yep. they take on you know a ranked Texas team to start the weekend. Uh, but but again, I think there is plenty of uh, you know, candidates, if you will, for not only the starting positions, but the bullpen. I mean, I've been impressed with Luke Holman. He's been as advertised transferring in from, from Alabama. I think Javen Coleman um, has looked really good. Uh, if there's one thing that, that I know the coaches are probably, you know, at this moment a little more concerned about is, you know, you got to get the free passes down. I think from a strikeout standpoint, LSU has some really good stuff. It's not a stuff issue. Uh, it's It's maybe being a little more consistent with the strike zone. Um, because there's been a few more passes uh, than, than you'd like to see. But goodness knows, I think this is a much deeper uh, bullpen. Uh, you kind of have a number of guys that you can count on. Uh, you get in a game like yesterday, and, yeah, everybody's frustrated because you give up six runs in the top of the fifth inning. But I'm looking down at the guys that, that hadn't pitched on the weekend that are available, and I'm thinking, you know, Jay's got a whole he's got a whole army of guys that he can come out here and eventually somebody's going to find – you know, the six, eight, nine, ten outs that they need to finish this game off, and that's exactly what happened. So, Chris, we all know that roles are going to change as the season progresses, and Jay's been very outward about talking about, 
you know, the pitching staff and which guys are going to be pitching which kind of high leverage innings. I think he's still figuring that out. You mentioned Luke Holman, and I think that's a name that stood out completely through the first two weeks. I agree with you. Uh, building upon that first performance against Central Arkansas, what he did to Northern Illinois over the weekend was outstanding. And now he's at 2-0 and on the record this year, 12.1 innings pitched. Uh, and he's also got 18 strikeouts. He wasn't really viewed as a super high strikeout guy. Like The strikeout numbers were good for Alabama last year, but the early returns on him are excellent, especially after that seven-inning performance where he gave up two, uh, two hits, no runs, and he also had eight strikeouts against Northern Illinois. I think that he is absolutely going to at least be the Saturday guy. Thatcher Hurts had a couple struggles early on this season. I mean, is there a potential that he's going to end up being your Friday starter if he keeps pitching like this? You know, I think there's a very good possibility of that because, again, you know, last year you look at Holman's numbers in Al- at Alabama. It wasn't a big strikeout guy, as you pointed out, but he did have the second-best, um, you know, earned Whip. run average yeah. in the SEC, which is, I mean, pretty impressive when you look at, you know, the guys that were pitching last year. So, yeah, I think he certainly is a candidate for being a game-one starter. And, you know, when I look at Thatcher Hurd, I look at a guy who is still trying to – come back and and Javen Coleman I think is another that that I think is part of the weekend mix and then the other guy I forgot to mention is uh, you talk to these coaches Nate Yeski and Jay Johnson I mean they rave over uh, the youngster Gage Jump and and you know there's kind of been some whispers around the clubhouse that nobody would be surprised if he doesn't end up eventually at some point this season becoming your game one starter so I mean there's four guys that that I named that I think could fit in those roles but there's no doubt about it Jay is going to you know, he, he was asked last year, why don't you move Paul Skeens? Why is he always – all these other teams are taking on LSU and they're putting their number one starter in the second game. And Jay was like, my job here, and I tell the players all the time, is to put you in a position to win every game. We get 56 guaranteed games. We look at it as a 56-game playoff. And for me to move our number one guy to play some game on the weekend is me lying to you, and I'm not going to do that. So whoever is the best guy to give them a chance to get off to a win on an SEC weekend will be there. And and I think Holman's a candidate. I think Gage Jump will be, you know, a chance to do that. Uh, and then if you see, you know, Coleman and Holman, I mean, uh, excuse me, Coleman and, um, you know, Thatcher Hurd improve. Uh, I, I mean, I, again, this is a nice problem to have, and it goes the same way with the lineup for LSU. I mean, how do you give these guys the, the innings – the at bats that that they all want to to be happy. It's a it's a great problem to have, but it's a tough problem to have. As Jay said on the radio, uh, I think on after Saturday's game, you know it's it's hard to fill out a lineup card with the talent he's got. And then Chris, going back to the hardwood real quick, the one good thing about LSU basketball with their four games remaining is that they're all against opponents that are either at their position or lower in the SEC standings. And starting off with a rematch against Georgia after we all know what happened late January in Athens with you know that late LSU made a push after they were down late. They even took the lead, and then Georgia wins it on a late uh, layup. So LSU looking for revenge against the Bulldogs tomorrow night. And then even after that, you know, Vanderbilt is 7-20, and Arkansas, who they smoked by 20 points just this past month, and then, you know, Missouri, who's 8-19 and overall. So it was a really early loaded schedule, but it eases up to close out the year. And I think the Tigers, even despite that 20-point loss to Mississippi State, can go on a run. I just want to get your preview of this Georgia matchup specifically uh, and get your thoughts on revenge with, uh, with the Tigers and the PMAC. Yeah, I mean, I think it was. I mean, everybody was looking at that schedule, and you see that middle part, and you're like, oh, man, that is quite the gauntlet there with, you know, Tennessee and Alabama twice in two weeks and Kentucky, which, again, to me, that was kind of lanyap that you got that win. Happy they got the win. But you looked at the last five, six games on the schedule, and you think these are winnable games. 
Now, Mississippi State, I think on paper, at home in Baton Rouge, you kind of thought certainly was winnable. I didn't think it was a guarantee uh, because they've been playing Mississippi State much better, uh, and they've done it, sustained it longer than LSU has. Uh, but now what's remaining, certainly all winnable games. And, you know, the Georgia game was interesting because it was kind of the first time we saw an LSU team kind of just go away for five, six, seven game minutes and suddenly have to climb their way back. And, you know, with about six, seven minutes to go in that one, it looked like Georgia was going to be able to run away with it. And suddenly we've got a three-point game, two-point game, then we're tied, and then you get a chance to win it. Uh, after taking a, a quick lead, Georgia regained the lead uh, on an offensive rebound. And then, again, I've said it a thousand times, when Jordan Wright let that ball go in front of us in the corner, it, it, everything looked right, and, and it just must have missed by just mere inches. Um, and, you know, it's a winnable game. You're going to be back at home. You know, I hope the crowd is going to be there because that certainly was a big factor in the Kentucky game. I mean, that atmosphere, there's no doubt, had an impact on lifting LSU and I think frustrating Kentucky. It was just... You know, you could tell their body language. They were they were frustrated with the game. And so I hope that's what LSU can do with its fan base against Georgia, you know, coming up tomorrow night. Because, you know, you look at South Carolina's schedule, that's a team that's playing a tough stretch to end the season. Um, Texas A&M certainly has struggled here of late. So, you know, you're able to string three or four wins together, build some confidence, try to get to that consistency that Mike was talking about earlier and then roll into Music City, and then that's why they call it March Madness. Anything can happen. Chris, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Really appreciate it. Quick story, man. Uh, you do such a fabulous job, man, and, and I love your, your call baseball-wise, but I got two grandkids, and you know, I'll have it on, and they're like, Pop, why are you listening to that? There's no music coming out of that. I'm like, okay, I'm listening to the baseball game. you got to understand. <laughs> when you get a little older, you, you'll get it. You'll, you, you'll get like that part of it. Radio, but, man, Chris, you do a fabulous job, and, man, we're so fortunate to have you uh, doing LSU. Well, I appreciate it, guys, and it's good to know you're their grandfather because soon they'll they'll figure out listening to it on the radio is the best. There yeah. you go. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, guys. All righty. Chris Blair, voice of LSU Athletics. We'll be back to finish it up here in our number one on Sports Talk on the Big 870 right after this break. We're finishing up here at our number one of Sports Talk on the Big 870. Mike Detail along with Charlie Long. I want to tell everybody at a little after 520, Christian Clark, uh, the Pelicans beat writer for the Times Picayune Advocate will join us. And, uh, Sid from Jersey, hang on to where you're at and we'll come to you as soon as, uh, we go to our news break and come out. And then I know you want to talk about Taysom Hill. Interesting how they're going to use him. I think a lot of what you've seen before, but you may see it out of a different formations, uh, in bringing in Kubiak. So we'll be back with more sports talk here on the Big 870. Thank Saints, Pelicans, all across the board, right after this news break on the Big 870 WWL.